Filthy Henry, Accidental Legend, Chapter 11. Cahill was starting to really dislike the fairy detective. He might have gone so far as to say that he hated Filthy Henry. From his ginger hair with specks of grey, to the boring brown suit that he wore. Even the trench coat, something that had not been in fashion for well over ten years now, was something extra to hate about the guy. All cards on the table, Cahill was fairly certain that he definitely hated the Pratt, who had invaded his life and turned everything on its head. But then Mammy Cullen had always raised Cahill to not use the word hate. She said it was too strong a word. A word that implied you had not fully thought about the person or thing. Nothing in the world should require you to hate it, was the sage advice from his motherly figure. Hate was what people turned to when they were too dumb to come up with better terms, or didn't want to sit down and think if maybe they were in the wrong. He hated her logic, because most of the time it made perfect sense. However, in this instance, Cahill was going to say, at least in the privacy of his own thoughts, that he hated the fairy detective. After Shelley and the druid had left, to go in search of whatever made-up object of great and mystical power Filthy Henry had sent them to find, Cahill's happiness had been ruined by the announcement of more training. A clap to the side of the head had been used by the fairy detective, so as to rule out any possibility Cahill was asleep. Cahill had risen from the sofa, which he loved so much, and ambled after the fairy detective. They went outside to the front garden. Filthy Henry had taken off his suit jacket and folded it, placing it down on the ground. He rolled up the sleeves of his white shirt, a shirt that clearly needed to have months' worth of creases ironed out, and gestured for Cahill to come closer. We can skip the muscle building, Filthy Henry said, raising his fists and assuming a boxer's stance. I'm fairly certain the hurley stick will sort that out for us. But you will need to know how to throw a punch, and quite probably take one as well. Cahill mirrored the pose of Filthy Henry as best he could, with half a heart in the effort. I've been in fights before, you know, he said. Sure, I don't doubt you. Only thing is, this fight is one that we need you to win and walk away from. Also, I very much doubt the ancient art of drunken boxing is going to be much use. I've walked away from fights, Cahill said. Many, in fact. With the same amount of blood inside your body when the fight started as when it ended. For Cahill, that was the final barb that broke the camel's back. This blow-in, this Dubliner, with an ego the size of the moon, seemed to think that he could just waltz into Cahill's life and judge him. It was not going to be tolerated. Not for one minute more. Cahill clenched his fists so hard that he could feel the fingernails dig into the palms of his hands. He took two steps forward, made a feint with the right fist and threw a haymaker with his left. Filthy Henry ignored the right fist coming at him, ducked down and gave Cahill two rapid punches in the stomach. It felt like being hit with a sledgehammer. Cahill doubled over in pain and fell to the ground like a sack of potatoes. Don't pretend in the middle of a fight, the fairy detective said offering a hand to help Cahill back to his feet. The guy you're fighting probably won't fall for it. Worse still, he might make fake moves himself, thinking you will believe him. If you're in a fight to win, 
this isn't wrestling on the telly. Cahal batted the hand away and rolled over onto his back. He wheezed through the pain, the mere act of filling his lungs with air suddenly insanely painful. Screw you, he snarled through clenched teeth. Screw you and screw all of this. I'm serious. You guys can all go to hell. I'm done. You're not helping me win, Alice. You're just bullying me like a pack of nut jobs. Worse, I'm letting you do it. How does any of this help me impress her? All your talk of magic and legends. It's all crap. You just spiked my drink the other night. That's why I couldn't find the door. Or windows. I was drugged. I've got to get some of the basics going before we can move on to impressing the lady, Filthy Henry said, rolling down his sleeves. Show her that the groundwork has at least been started on the project. Come on, use your head. If we try to woo her with you in your current state, we won't get very far. Cahill got to his feet, the pain in his stomach now bearable, and marched back to the house, heading for a little hidden cupboard under the sink that was only ever used in case of emergencies. Such emergencies being the rare times that all pubs in Ireland were closed, and the supply of drink purchased the day before had run out. Inside was a small bottle of cheap whiskey, a brand not able to hold a candle to the chimney bottle. That was something very special. Cottle took the bottle out from under the sink, collected a cup from the draining board, then went to the sofa and sat down. He opened the bottle and poured a generous amount of whiskey into the cup. Filthy Henry entered the room, stopping just inside the doorway. He leaned against the door frame. A little water break? That makes sense. You should stay hydrated. He looked over at the open cupboard. Could have sworn I found all the booze in this place the other night after you'd gone to sleep. Cahill held up the bottle of whiskey. The water of life. Only thing from Irish class that I can remember. But once I get this into me, I'm not going to care about you and your crazy talk anymore. You can all get lost. I'll impress Alice my own way. Or I won't. Doesn't matter. What does matter is that you lot clear out. Ha! That's not whiskey. In fact, I think the only way you're going to start listening to me is if I make sure you fully believe what I'm saying. The fairy detective held up his hand and pointed a finger at Cahill. I'll call Sarah in Ashka. Strange blue lights formed in the air, spreading towards the sofa. They drifted down and nestled on Cahill's hands, popping on his skin like soap bubbles. He raised an eyebrow and looked back at Filthy Henry. Nice party trick, but I've seen a lad on the TV make a bird appear out of his sleeve. He raised the cup and took a mouthful of the whiskey, savouring the taste. Except as the liquid splashed around in his mouth, it didn't taste of whiskey. It tasted of nothing at all, just like water. Confused, he put the cup down on the table and lifted the whiskey bottle. Before Cottle's eyes, the contents of the bottle started to change. The golden brown liquid slowly lost its colour, becoming clear. He brought the mouth of the bottle up to his nose and sniffed. The sweet smell of whiskey was missing. What? Filthy Henry slowly pulled on his trench coat. I need you to be sober for this, the fairy detective said. There's no point in me preparing you to fight if you show up half cut. For the foreseeable, any time you touch any alcoholic beverages, they'll automatically turn into water so you can't get drunk. Just think of me like some sort of reverse messiah, turning wine into water. 
Cahill stared in disbelief at the bottle of whiskey with water in it. This had to be another trick. There was no way a person could transform one thing into another. Beside the fireplace, he saw an empty bottle of red wine. Empty save for the last few drops which he collected in the bottom. He stood up, walked over to the bottle and picked it up. Almost instantly the red wine turned into water. Come on, Filthy Henry said. We're going for a walk. You're going for a walk. A walk right out of my life. I don't want to see you or the punchy woman or the crazy hippie ever again. I'm going to go sleep off this drug haze and I'll wake up with a bottle of whiskey again. You'll see. Cahill managed to dive across the room and land on the sofa, a split second before the fireball crashed into the empty hearth. It set the scrap papers alight and burned some of the leftover kindling stuck in the grate. He lowered his arms from their protective position around his head and looked up at Filthy Henry. Filthy Henry who was holding, actually holding, a ball of flames in his right hand. He lowered his left, which had been pointed towards the fireplace. How the hell did you do that? Gall started. Let's go for that walk, Filthy Henry said, smiling. Before they had arrived in Carlingford, the fairy detective had done a little research. He had read the old legends, scanned the tomes, cheated with the cliff notes, all to get a rough mental picture in his head about the location where the great battle mentioned in the Tawn had happened. Based on the various sources he had worked from, Filthy Henry's best educated guess about the field was that it was large and flat, devoid of giant boulders or any protruding landmarks, with trees lining most of the border. This made sense, as it would have allowed Cúculain to declare combat and then trick people into following him to the tree line, allowing his traps to do most of the work. In all of Carlingford and the surrounding areas, there had been only one field that even remotely matched such a precise description, which allowed Filthy Henry to assume it was the field from the legend. A field that just happened to be a convenient 30-minute walk from Cahill's house. In fact, for Cahill to amble drunkenly back and forth from Carlingford Town, he had to pass extremely close to the field. So close that it would not have surprised the fairy detective if Cahill had not, on more than one occasion, taken a quick nap in the grass. As they had walked down the dirt road that led away from Cahill's home, Filthy Henry watched Cahill turn, instinctively, off the path towards the main road. The man had walked on ten feet before noticing the fairy detective was not following along beside him. What is it? he asked, stopping to look back. Filthy Henry pointed towards a little trail that led off the dirt road and between the trees through the surrounding forest. This way, he said, walking onto the trail. Cahill jogged back to the fairy detective and started to walk along beside him in silence. Filthy Henry sighed. He had read the books before. The reluctant hero meeting a mentor and not getting on until some amazingly cliched speech was given which inspired said sad hero into seeing the bigger picture. Such a speech was not in Filthy Henry's wheelhouse and he knew it. He very much preferred to just bully people into doing what was needed. It made everything work so much smoother. Why bother with the carrot, when the stick could leave welts, he thought. He decided against even bothering to give Cahill a pep talk. If it had taken a fireball to get the man to go on a simple walk, then a pep talk was likely not to improve things between them. All around them, nature did its thing. 
which mostly involved small animals moving away and leaves blowing in the wind. Twenty minutes later they left the forest and emerged into a field. The field which looked exactly as filthy Henry had expected it to. Them old druids sure did know how to describe things, he said to himself. What do you mean? Cahill asked, looking around. This, the fairy detective said with a gesture of his hands, to indicate the vast green area they now stood on the edge of. This is where the legend took place. This is where your super great-grandfather times a number removed did his thing. This is where you get to be a big hero. Oh great, Cahill said with all the enthusiasm of a teenager, being told to visit his grandparents up the top of a mountain with no internet service. I don't think you understand. The actual field from the legend exists. And here it is, from the Tawn. Your ancestor fought off a whole army single-handedly on this spot. I'm not fighting an army, am I? Never said anything about an army. The fairy detective looked at Cahill and mulled over what he was going to say next. He could have gone down the inspirational route, but deep down Filthy Henry knew that Cahill would see through the lie. I got a level with you, Cahill. I don't think you're going to be able to pull this off. Even with the hurley stick in your hand. Assuming we find the bloody thing. It just doesn't seem to be something that's likely to happen. Through no fault of your own. I mean, just look at yourself. Well, I'm all that you've got. So what are you going to do? The roar of a car engine interrupted them. Some birds broke into flight from the tree line, rising up into the sky and circling around. There's a road over there, right? Filthy Henry asked. Cahill shook his head. No, main road's back the way we came. Over there there's nothing but trees and grass and more boring trees and whatnot. Couple of fields maybe, I think. Hmm, I guess we'd better go take a look. Let me guess, nothing. We haven't finished yet, Drew said, walking slowly around the stones and placing little twigs into the ground. Well, last time you figured it out much faster. Look, these things take time. And to be honest, you're kind of distracting me the way you're sort of getting angrier and angrier here. So forgive me for putting in extra effort to be 100% sure. Shelley drew in a deep breath and folded her arms. A pair of actions that she had noticed being repeated a lot in the past few days. She looked around the rolling landscape of green fields, small hills and randomly placed rocks for anything at all to indicate they were in the correct area. The only thing worthy of note in the entire field, just as in the previous ones, was the portal dolmen. It looked like a giant had tried to make a card house using stones the size of small cars. Three large stones stood upright, with a third resting across them to form a roof. Dolmens usually marked the site of a tomb or grave, at least that was what the history teachers had taught Shelley back in the day. Whether or not powerful fairy artefacts were buried beneath them as well was anyone's guess. Each site they had visited today had contained a single portal dolmen in it, and nothing else. Stressed? What do you mean more stressed? That Murphy guy has me all worked up. What a complete and utter jerk. Shelley withheld the primary reason for her stress levels. She had been landed with Drew on what was basically a magical scavenger hunt, and had never worked with the Druid solo before. Her dealings with him so far mainly revolving around Filthy Henry's kleptomania in Drew's shop. Druids, as far as the fairy detective had explained, were not humans who could channel magic the same way Filthy Henry was able to. Filthy Henry was a half-breed, 
magic coursed through his veins and allowed him to do some very wondrous things. A druid, on the other hand, was schooled in the more natural elements of the world. They knew what weeds could be used to help with bruises, and how to trick kings out of gold by giving prophetic readings from dried tea. Some druids, however, could perform magical acts using borrowed magic. This meant that they had either captured a gullible fairy, or made a deal with one. The fairy provided limited amounts of magic to the druid. Such druids could not cast the same sort of spells that Filthy Henry was able to, but the basic ones available to them were useful. Except right now, Drew seemed to not even be the useful sort of druid. Then, to make an already horrible day worse, Farmer Murphy had turned out to be the sort of person you wanted to punch in the face five minutes after meeting him. They had arrived at his farmhouse, a palace when compared to Cahill's home, and gone up to knock on the front door. Murphy had assumed they were selling something and immediately told them to get lost. When Shelley had explained they were there to warn him about people coming to steal his bull, Murphy had just laughed at her. Laughed? Right in her face. He told them about an attempt earlier in the week. Made some bizarre statement about the bull running the would-be cattle tees off Murphy's land, then closed the door and never opened it again. Now, after Murphy's blatant bad manners, Shelley had to endure another display of Drew's poor excuse at magic. It was all getting a little too much. The sooner this case was wrapped up, the happier Shelley would be. Same spell as last time, right? she asked. Drew stuck his last twig into the ground and stood up straight. He spread his arms out wide, wiggled his fingers and closed his eyes. Same spell as last time and the time before, he said. I could get naked this time and see if that helps. Druids usually keep that sort of thing for the winter moon festivals, but if you think it's a good idea. Keep dressed. I'll call the police. Shetty closed her eyes and switched to her fairy vision, staring at the druid. As the magical elements of the world came into view, she watched Drew perform his spell. Fairy creatures all had auras around them when viewed in the magical spectrum. Unique outlines specific to each race. Sometimes the auras were not obvious, for reasons Shelley had never really figured out. She had made an educated guess once, and assumed it had had something to do with the level her fairy vision was set to. In the past few months, while practicing with her second sight, Shelley had discovered that it could be weakened or strengthened based on some concentration, resulting in a lot of the fairy world revealing itself, or just the basic stuff. Even still, the lowest level of her magical sight made it possible to watch a spell being performed. Unless it was a fireball. Generally anyone, whether using fairy sight or not, could see a fireball being conjured and thrown towards them. It was only so much that the human mind was willing to hide from view, it seemed. Rapidly approaching flaming death was not one of them. From Drew's right hand, an extremely faint line of what looked like pink smoke appeared, trailing off up into the air. The connection from the druid to whatever fairy he was borrowing magic from, presumably. Which made sense. If you were not carrying around a little cage with the fairy inside, there had to be some other way for the magic to be funneled from the source to destination. The actual spell itself seemed to be a fairly basic one. It involved searching the area directly beneath the twig circle for anything that had a hint of magic in it. They would still have to dig up the object, but at least nobody had to toil away moving dirt and stones, only to turn up empty-handed. 
If anything, it was what all treasure hunters would have loved to be able to do. A magical metal detector. That was assuming the bloody spell worked, and Drew wasn't just pulling a fast one. Two possible burial sites had turned up nothing, with this one the final one to go. There was always the chance that Filthy Henry was up to one of his little tricks. The fairy detective was known for doing pranks in the middle of a case for no other reason than his own stupid entertainment. As the spell kicked in, Shelley watched the twigs with great interest, keeping an eye on the dolmen stones just in case they started to glow or do anything other than just stand there. Since basically stumbling into the world of enchantments and fairy detectives, Shelley had become intrigued by how magic worked, especially as a spell was being cast. This had led to Filthy Henry calling her a tourist on a number of occasions. Drew's spell had been a first for Shelley to watch. So far, all the magic she had seen cast came from either Filthy Henry, the sea Bunty Dooley, or a few months ago, some old Celtic gods. Getting the chance to see a human perform a spell, even with borrowed magic, at least made this trip a little interesting. As Drew chanted the words of his spell over and over, the tips of each twig started to glow brightly. Like Christmas tree fairy lights, they twinkled into brightness, working around the circle until each one was lit up. When they were all active, Drew lowered his hands but continued the chant. What do you see when you're casting the spell? Shelley asked. The druid looked over at Shelley. What do you mean? It's magic. You don't see anything until it takes effect. But with your second sight, do you not see all the little lights on the twigs glowing? Drew frowned and looked down at the circle before him. He started making random gestures with his hands, which caused the pink smoke to twirl around in the air. What are you talking about? They don't glow. You make the circle and the magic's kept within it, and then you get a, a feeling of the right area to look at. Also, what the hell is the second sight? You know, the way you get to look at the fairy world, Shelley said. Drew shook his head. I only get to see the fairy world that's revealed to me. Fairy creatures that remove the veil all have become visible to normal humans. Not all of us have a patron of the magical arts like you do. Oh, Shelley said, a little surprised at this revelation. Then how do you know if the spell works or not? If it doesn't work, I don't get a feeling about where to dig, Drew said sighing afterwards and lowering his hands. Like I'm not getting right now. There's, there's nothing here. He started to collect the twigs from the ground, dropping each one into a clear sandwich bag he kept in his jeans pocket. As the druid came closer to Shelley, he stopped and looked up at her. You're not going to, like, uh, punish me, are you? He said. I mean, this really isn't my fault. Filthy Henry obviously didn't do his homework or something. Either that or the hurley stick isn't here. Shelley closed her eyes, mentally turning off her fairy vision, and thought about what they would do next. When the fairy detective got stumped, he went for food. Although that was in part due to his fairy side needing a constant source of food to convert into magical energy. An annoying trait to have, because it meant the sarcastic spellcaster never put on any weight, despite eating enough food for two families most days. One trick she had picked up from the fairy detective, however, revolved around who actually ended up paying for food you wanted. All it required was a patsy. Right. Let's go into Carlingford and get some lunch. You're paying, she said. 
Shelley didn't wait for a response. She turned around and started walking back across the field. Filthy Henry, Accidental Legend, is a novel by Derek Power. More Filthy Henry novels are available to buy on Amazon Kindle. Narration and music by Niall Milton. To keep up to date with episodes this season, why not subscribe or like or share? We'd really appreciate it. <laughs>